Welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you. And we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. Welcome to Injured Corner with Core Physical Therapy. We've got a, this is number two in a series of regenerative health. And you're saying to yourself, Scott, I'm having a hard time spelling regenerative. Be, fear not. It's going to be out at the podcast. And it's going to be spelled correctly because that little red squiggly line is going to make sure I spell it correctly. Now, remember, go out to CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. Make that your first spot to say, hey, I want a little better life a healthier life, go out to corephysicaltherapy.com. It's a great website. You can navigate around, find answers. You know, it's there, right there, corephysicaltherapy.com. All right. You might have remembered these uh, two individuals. Of course, you know Dr. Rick, but these two individuals from the first regenerative medicine, part one. We've got uh, Dr. Matt and we've got Kinsey. Dr. Matt, for a reminder, give us a little background on who you are. Yeah, my name is Matt Bays. Um, thanks for having me again, Scott and Rick and Kenzie. Um, I'm a primary care sports medicine and orthopedic specialist here in St. Louis, Missouri, in private practice with uh, some partners at Blue Tail Medical Group. Happy to be here. Yeah, that, that was short and sweet. I like that. Kenzie, I probably did more in episode you one. <laughs> you did you? Uh, Kenzie, try to make it quicker. Go. Yeah, mine's going to be quicker. Uh, I'm. Uh, my name's Kenzie Schaus. I... Uh, I'm the clinic manager of the O'Fallon Clinic in um, St. Louis, Missouri. So I've been doing physical therapy for about five years now. I graduated at Southwest Baptist University. There you go, man. Dr. Rick, they're ready to go. Let's get this thing a cracking. So first of all, thanks, everybody. Um, it's a little late, especially for Scotty. And uh, Yeah, I'm 60. Time. Come on, man. I, I, I'm getting ready for bed. <laughs> so, so I appreciate that. Uh, everybody's participation. And this is, this is a great topic. And this is a topic um, that I think we have true experts on tonight. So I'm, 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 I'm pretty pumped. Um, so before we get started, Matt, let's, let's talk about your practice and, and kind of give us the theory behind regenerative medicine. And, you know, what is, what is, what does your day look like? What, what are you treating? Who are you seeing? And give us a little um, interlude into uh, a day at Dr. Bayes' office? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, you know, uh, it's a great question. I always tell my kids, my family, my friends that I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I truly enjoy what I'm doing. Um, I, I really get to help people feel better and perform better, which is kind of what we're all about. And I know that's how your practice is as well, Rick um, and Kinsey, of course. So um, I have a mix of patients. I, um, over the last 10 to 12 years, my practice has really changed. I used to work um, for an orthopedic group in St. Louis. And so I was basically kind of seeing new patients and seeing who needed surgery and seeing who didn't and trying to help those who didn't the best that I could without regenerative medicine. And now that I'm kind of a specialist in this, I still see a lot of people that don't need what, uh, what regenerative medicine is. And we can still optimize their outcome through the uh, conservative measures like activity modification, uh, proper um, 
you know, excellent physical therapy addressing overall issues. We can do corticosteroid or visco supplement this, you know, what have you. But now I see a, you know, probably about half of my new patients are coming to me either because they, they know about what I do and they want to have that, or they're asking, is this the right thing for me? Or simply, you know, I just am not ready for, um, the surgical step that has been offered for me. Is there anything else? So, you know, uh, I do about two or three regenerative treatments a day. Uh, and then I do a lot on Friday. That's more my procedure day, but I probably see about 20 patients a day. So 10 of them are new, probably eight or nine are follow-ups and, and two or three are, are uh, procedures. And I, I'm just, I, I absolutely love what I'm doing. And, and, and kind of, kind of explain the theory be, behind regenerative medicine. I mean, what, it's a fancy title. It sounds great, but, but really what is it? I mean, what, what, what are we doing for these folks? Yeah. 30,000 foot view answer for that question is we're taking what your body's own makeup is made for. So again, I'm a spiritual guy. I believe there's a greater being and we were, we were made for a reason and we were made uh, according to this wonderful recipe. And we have cells in our body called stem cells and platelets and other other growth factors and, and a whole cascade of healing. And all we are doing is stepping in and uh, harnessing that. Uh, we are concentrating that um, through the use of uh, bone marrow and adipose um, and centrifuges and science. And then we are putting it precisely where it needs to go. Not just saying, oh, you're having knee pain. Let's put it in your knee. We're saying, oh, you're having knee pain. Let's figure out the seven different things that are why you're having knee pain, which of those need to have an injection and which of those need to work with Kinsey afterwards um, or before. And uh, yeah, so we're just kind of harnessing and increasing the efficiency of your own healing system. And, 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 and tell us about the cell lines that do that. And then after that, I want you to kind of direct uh, our attention towards Kinsey and, and, and give us, we'll talk about a typical injection, maybe an OA injection or whatever. And then how does PT kind of fit into that, that whole picture? Sure. So uh, stem cell is a pluripotent stem cell or a pluripotent cell, meaning it can become other types of tissue. So there's uh, a multipotent stem cell is really, there's only one of those. And that's when the egg meets the sperm and, you know, they, they uh, go on to greater things. So the uh, multipotent stem cell in the lineage we want called mesenchymal stem cells, we, we briefly addressed this last time, um, is building uh, musculoskeletal tissue. Um, and so the body is smart. Let's say we're going into a tendon. Let's say we have a rotator cuff partial tear, Rick, and it's not retracted. It's not a full tear. They still have function, um, but they're not healing with the tried and true measures. We can take a bone marrow stem cell, concentrate it uh, numerous, numerous times, add platelets, um, add a little adipose for a scaffold or a matrix with uh, other proteins and other stem cells. And then we can put it right within those fibers. And what that does is act as a little bit of a binding agent. It helps heal the cells together. And then those stem cells will become new collagen, which is the protein that makes up uh, the uh, tendon. And so we're just putting the cells there and then the local signals from the damaged tissue tell them what to become. And, and so, so let's, let's take that model. That's a good model. So you have a partial rotator cuff tear, you do a biologic, and then tell us about that. Do you rest them for a period of time? You tell them they can't take anti-inflammatories for a period of time. Um, 
Where does a cortisone injection fit in right after uh, a stem cell or a PRP? And then, and then when do they start their therapy? Yeah. Lots so questions. all of those are important and those are really the key questions. So even in the last three months, Rick, we've changed how we do things. So we used to be really, really hardcore on, you got to stop your anti-inflammatories five days ahead of time. We want you off 30 days afterwards. And that was based on, you know, a fear that the non-steroidal can inhibit platelet function. But what we found out over time is it inhibits platelet binding and that's why it's a blood thinner. So it can inhibit platelet clotting, but what it doesn't do is inhibit the platelet granule release, which is where those growth factors and cytokines come from, which start your inflammatory cascade. So we actually are allowing our patients now to continue on their anti-inflammatories. Um, we see a lot of people, as you know, Rick, we don't, we don't work in a bubble. We have a, we're, we are treating a patient who has a whole systemic issue. Usually they, they don't have one problem. And so if they've got call it fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis, um, we allow them to stay on Celebrex now because, you know, we have found that our patients hurt so bad in their other joints or their low back pain while we're trying to hear our rotator cuff that, you know, poor Kinsey and the follow-ups, they're like, you know, I can't get much done with this patient because they're in so much pain. And so we, we then said, just keep taking your anti-inflammatories because we know it doesn't affect platelet release only platelet clotting, as I said, and our outcomes are fine. So we do not, as of the last couple months, Rick, stop their anti-inflammatories. We also, you talked about corticosteroid. We have found through trial and error, much like most, you know, scientists, that when we treat a rotator cuff pretty aggressively, it's not uncommon to really cause a really inflammatory subdeltoid bursitis. And, um, what we have found is when we put just a little bit of Kenalog, like a half normal dose in that sub subacromial subdeltoid bursa during the uh, stem cell injection, that the patient has a lot less pain after. And again, when they're seeing their physical therapist, which I start 10 to 14 days later, they have had that steroid kick in. They, they usurped that whole flare, that flare kind of like, instead of going up and then down, it just kind of went up and then down a little rounded and they're a lot easier to get active. So when I see a patient, let's let's now answer the post-injection protocol. I don't put them in a brace. Um, I, I allow them to move their arms below shoulder level. So I was kind of like draw a line right here with my arms. I know that the listener can't see this, but I just say, keep your arms below shoulder level. Um, use your other arm to augment unless we're treating both. Then they need a partner around to help them. But um, it's going to be a two-day struggle. You know, I talk a lot about medical cannabis. Um, since we met last, I had a whole uh, educational seminar on medical cannabis for physicians here in St. Louis. Um, and, you know, actually, Scott, have you guys had a cannabis uh, podcast? We have not. And, and you know, after our first uh, podcast, I zipped on out. And I said, can I get it? You know, if there's any better. And, and we can't get it down here. So it's, it's state by state, right? Wait, are you in Florida? No. No, I'm LA, in uh, Louisiana. Oh, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, so yeah. it's it's a sort of a state-by-state state thing, right? You things called parishes. You can't get pot. What are you talking about? <laughs> Zoo. And by the way, happy Fat Tuesday. Yeah. Hey, How about that? I got the baby in our king cake today. Did you really? Yeah, you know what that means? A year of Yeah, you got to buy the next one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> happy Mardi Gras. That is it. <laughs> yeah, everybody. It's a great time to go shopping uh, during Mardi Gras. Oh, I bet. Nobody's around. So, 
<laughs> so I have, um, I have conversations every day now about medical cannabis and I have a really good friend and you know, Trish Herford, Rick, I'm sure Dr. Yeah. Herford, yeah. Yeah. she would be a go-to. She's a really great resource for that. That's who helped run my seminar with me. Um, she's the smartest person I know when it comes to medical cannabis application. Um, so we talk a lot about that. We talk about, um, uh, you know, a short course of, uh, of, uh, Vicodin usually, um, and then it's all just kind of a little bit of exercise, a little bit of range of motion. And then they jump into a clinic like Kenzie at Quora, and they're going to start some real low level, you know, figuring it out kind of like right after surgery, Rick, you have much more strict protocols, I'm sure. But the first visit with a therapist like Kenzie, she's just trying to get a baseline for how can you move? And that's where we're doing. And then I expect them to really kind of like start to see some, um, strength gains and range of motion gains by about six to eight weeks. So, so, Kinsey, walk us through that a little bit. Dr. Bay sends you a patient. We're going to talk probably two or three different joints. So let's, let's, let's start with the rotator cuff because that's pretty common. And, and, and I agree with you, just to backtrack a minute, I think medical cannabis totally underutilized. Um, you know, when you read the European literature, the Israeli literature, they are so much further advanced than us. And, uh, you know, I would, I would recommend anybody who's having chronic pain, discomfort, can't sleep, paresthesias, et cetera. That's something you want to explore with your doctor. And your, your doctor might be a little, I'll say shy, but maybe not 100% informed, but you, it, it's a part of medicine we're missing and that we're not going to continue to miss. I think we're going we're gonna to get up to speed um, as, as other countries have. So Kins, kind of give us, give us walk us through what, what happens next. Dr. Bay sends a patient, they've had a a biologic injection, maybe a little uh, corticosteroid to subacromial bursa. They come in, maybe they had a little post-injection flare. Now what happens? Yeah. So like uh, Dr. Bay said, the first visit, usually the first couple of visits is pretty easy. Um, first visit is getting a baseline. Um, first couple of visits is just more motion. Um, a lot of times pre-injection or pre, you know, before they see Dr. Bay's, they're probably can't reach overhead. They're having pain with almost any shoulder movement. So kind of seeing what they're at, seeing what their measurements are like. Um, when we're focusing on the motion part of it, looking at movement patterns, seeing what their shoulder blade is doing when they reach overhead, see how the different muscles in the upper back and the shoulder are working together. Um, we don't focus just on the rotator cuff muscles. A lot of times the upper back muscles are causing the rotator cuff muscles to not work as well. And there's a lot of dysfunction between the muscles that are supposed to be working together. So first couple of visits, figuring out their deficits and then slowly getting their motion back, um, making sure we get their motion back before we start working on a lot of strength. If you start working on a lot of strengthening before you get the basic movement patterns down, they're going to strengthen in bad habits. So you're going to create more problems. So getting them to know the correct movement patterns and then just slowly strengthening them from there. That's awesome. So if we were going to characterize, you know, the question I get asked, which all the time is, you know, what percentage of people, you know, what am I, the likelihood I'm going to get better with an injection? What, what, what are the chances I'm going to improve with a PRP or a combination injection, a biologic injection? Matt, what do you tell those patients? What, what, what percentage, what can they expect? Yeah. So, um, 
again, a little bit of repeat of episode one um, in the answer. I'll try not to fully repeat it. There's the regenerative matrix index a little bit um, where we're looking at their A1C. We're looking at their vitamin D level, looking at their platelet count. We're looking at their um, grip strength. We're looking at some functional movement evaluation. We're looking at their overall health. We're looking at their motivation, their psychiatry, psychology. Um, what do they want to do? What are their outcomes, right, Rick? So when you operate on a patient, it makes a big difference if that guy's a construction worker overhead, framing a house versus he's, you know, retired at 58 and he only putters around the house, right? So that's a lot easier goal in the episode number two there than the than the first guy. So, so um, you know, we can get a really good feel, you know, you can, you can tell when a patient is primed to heal. Um, I just saw a 16 year old female today with continued pain following a labrum tear surgery. And she had a, a nice surgery. She had an uh, MRI following that, that looks great, but she still has this pinching anterior pain. And I had a long conversation with her and her mom about how, you know, she's, you know, past puberty. Now she is primed to heal. Like her body is ready to roll. We just need to get some cells in there and calm down that synovium, which is what I think is going on. So in our, in our shoulder guy or gal, you know, Again, long answer to a short question. Um, I'm, if it's someone I think I can help, I say I'm 90% sure I'm going to get their goal back. And uh, so we still have about a 10% failure rate where my failure is um, the outcomes are different for every patient. But if they're not happy that they spent the money to come see me and didn't get the outcome that we both agreed was appropriate, then that's a failure. Um, it is super rare that we get no pain relief, but sometimes... You know, sometimes a person just wants to go up and down stairs without pain and their patellofemoral arthritis is bad enough that it just didn't help that. And um, that's a fail. So that does happen. You know, it keeps us humble. So let's move regions because, you know, one of the most common things orthopedic surgeons see is low back pain, degenerative arthritis, the lumbar spine. You know, maybe you have a 5-1 degenerative disc. Uh, maybe you have a little bit of nerve root irritation. But, but someone comes in, they're... 60 years old, they have low back pain. They don't really have any radicular pain. Um, they're stiff in the morning. Um, maybe, maybe they're a laborer, so they get a little worse during the day. How do we work that patient up and what do we do? Um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, obviously we need some imaging on that patient. I'm going to want to get an x-ray. And I'm assuming in this person, they have not had surgery, right? Correct. Just they're stiff and painful and, and active labor. Yeah, I mean, um, this is one of my, it's funny, this is one of my least favorite things to do and also one of my most favorite things to do because I think we can make a big, big, big difference with some basic lifestyle changes, which are hard, you know easy to talk about, hard to do. But if we can get a manual therapist involved with this person, get him moving better, talk about posture, um, look at their footwear, look at you know their arch supports, um, get the imaging, try and get a precise diagnosis for Kinsey. So we know what's going on. Um, we will do, you know, if they need a guided facet, um, injection or an epidural steroid injection to calm it down. And then I am all about therapy for this. Um, I do combine chiropractic with some physical therapy. I'm a believer in acupuncture, but first I would have them see Kinsey for some manual low back evaluation. And of course, Kinsey, we're kicking that right back to you because that's where we're headed. So, so, so now what? That patient comes in, uh, tells you they're stiff in the morning, no radicular pain, no weakness, but boy, my back is killing me. And when I 
work all day at four or five o'clock. I'm just miserable. I'm not too bad on Monday. I'm pretty terrible on Friday. I don't, yes. I don't, how do we evaluate that patient? Like Dr. Bay said, manual therapy is a huge part of that, especially low back. Um, educating them at first on the whole posture. So usually I'll do like a posture assessment and kind of explain starting at the top, at the shoulder, all the way down to the legs. Um, especially if we're going the laborer route, they're standing, squatting, kneeling, twisting in weird directions. Usually if you manual muscle test them and check their strength, they're, they're going to be strong. They're not a weakness issue. Um, but if you test maybe the transverse abdominis or some of those smaller glute muscles that they don't necessarily isolate, they're going to be really weak. So finding out what muscles we need to isolate and strengthen, and then soft tissue, getting the muscles around the lower back around the spine to kind of loosen up and, um, mobilizations. If they're, you know, the spine's not moving well, if their SI joint isn't moving well, um, getting everything moving like it should manual. We also have options, um, like dry needling, that's usually pretty good on the low back muscles to kind of release it when they're being stubborn and just normal massage or soft tissue release isn't quite working. So we have a couple of other options we can do there. Um, but a lot of it's posture. If they're working all day, showing them if they're extending a little bit in all of their movements all day and not even realizing it, it might be as simple as showing them how to avoid that. And as far as like the stiffness in the morning, just teaching them good stretches that they can do easily throughout the day. If you give them a lot of stretches that they have to lay down on their back for, they're probably not going to do them because they can't lay down during the day. So finding ways that they can do it really quick while they're standing, or if they sit down for a second, a couple stretches they can do easily incorporated in their day. And, and does traction have any place or, or is that only when somebody has ridiculous pain, you know, where does traction fit into the, the whole low back syndrome? I think the main reason you would do traction would be disc ridiculous symptoms. That's going to help that a lot, but I think it's a good pain reliever too. Um, we do some manual traction, like over a Swiss ball. Um, and if I do that at the end of the visit, it, it might not loosen anything up specifically, but it, it feels good and, and they leave feeling good. And that's usually a good visit. You can torture them for an hour and make them do stretches and strengthening. And you do a couple minutes of traction and they feel great. It's, it works pretty well, even if you don't have symptoms down your leg. We're going to change gears just a little bit, something near and dear to my heart, something I see, unfortunately, very commonly. Most of these kids are young, but that's not generally the population. That's either a partial plantar fascia tear or boring plantar fasciitis. So you got 22-year-old world-class sprinter. They come in. They have obvious plantar fasciitis. Dr. Bayes, kind of give us your, your – uh, your assessment, your workup, you scan them, kind of how do we treat that patient? Yeah. Um, you know, that that is an interesting patient, Rick, because, you know, in the general population, the plantar fascia isn't going to start to fire until they start to get older and less hydrated in our tendons, right? So maybe around, I don't know what we say, 35 or 40, but like the world-class load, the um, demand on that foot will, will, be seen in that population. Um, I usually just do an ultrasound. I don't usually MRI them. Um, the ultrasound does give a lot better representation of what that, um, the, those linear fibers in the tendon will separate and the fascia will separate. Um, and so I, that's one of my favorite things to ultrasound the rotator cuff. I think if you're not worried about the labrum, the rotator cuff, I believe the ultrasound is superior to, to a kind of a bad MRI. You know, a really good MRI is still really good. 
But in the foot, that MRI is really not that helpful in a, in a plantar fascia above and beyond a good ultrasound. I also look at the uh, posterior tibial nerve um, in the tarsal tunnel. That is a typical, you know, that's a mistake that we make is missing that nerve entrapment, which can cause that plantar heel pain. Um, uh, I do look at orthotics. Um, I, I, uh, I, I'm a middle of the road orthotic person. I think, you know, there's nothing we can put in someone's shoe that can't make them worse. Um, so I'm a little careful, but if they have a bad architecture, I think an orthotic will help. And I've lived that myself I, as a runner, I've had that and to get better with the orthotics. And then, um, you know, I'm a believer that steroids make tissue weak. You know, if, it, you know, if they have the world championships coming up, I'll give them a cortisone shot. If they're in a, uh, um, if they are in a uh, training phase where they have a little bit of time to recover, that's when I would love to hit, hit them with a PRP. And if they're a 22 year old, I don't think they need a stem cell. I think we can hit them with PRP alone. It is one of the more painful things I do. So I block that nerve. Um, Rick, if you've ever had a pe person want to jump out a window with a steroid shot in their plantar fascia, like the, when I used to do them, I didn't block the nerve with the PRP and Holy cow. I felt horrible for this one guy. Um, so I'll block their nerve. Um, and then again, I'll, I'll talk a lot about home exercises, but I, it sounds like I'm pandering here, but I feel like physical therapy is very helpful to look at that whole posterior chain flexibility and strength. So, so let's move down the line a little bit. Now you're 51 years old. You wake up in the morning, you say, doc, I feel like I got a rock in my shoe. When I walk a little bit, I start to feel better. But then if I sit for an hour and I go to get up, I'm kind of back to square one. Um, completely different pattern. How do we treat that pattern? Yeah, kind of the more common, more common presentation. Um, I'll ask what they've been trying. A lot of people have home remedies they'll do. They'll do um, the golf ball rolling on the carpet under their foot, which I think is a great idea. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, um, that's a good segue into like some of the therapeutic measures are really good for this that disrupt tissue like Graston or A-STEM. Then there's dry needling, which is really good. Um, Kenzie, I think most states have dry needling now. Is that right? Under the PT laws? Yeah, I, I, as far as I know, I think all of them do. Um, like some of them, you need a script. Um, like in Missouri, you need a script. Um, but most of them allow it, I think, yeah. as far as I know. So in my, in my view of that, Rick, I feel like those are really um, less invasive ways to disrupt tissue and cause bleeding. Bleeding brings platelets. Platelets bring healing. So, you know, manual therapists have been doing low-level regenerative medicine forever when they do, you know, a deep tissue massage and kind of disrupt tissue. And they, and if it bruises a little you're, and it hurts real bad, it's probably going to be helpful. So that is, I like to start conservative. Um, plantar fasciitis is, is a really hard diagnosis to treat um, when you start getting in injections. I always make a joke that the more ways there are to treat something, the less there are that work. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Rick, you've been doing this longer than me. I mean, you remember Shockwave, you remember um, 10X is still going at it. Um, you name it, we've tried to inject it. Prolotherapy, polydocanol, uh, you know, all this stuff. Um, PRP works, but I mean, this is a painful thing. I mean, they got to be non-weight bearing for like three, four days after that. Um, but that's why I love these ankle scooters. You can get an ankle scooter now at a drugstore for, I don't know, 30 bucks a week. You can rent these things and you look like a buffoon, but you know, most of my patients don't care. It's the high school kids. They don't want to roll down the hallway. Right. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's what I'll do for that patient. I'll try to avoid putting a needle in it, but if it's if it's pretty torn, I'm going to try and treat it. So, Kinsey, let's let's uh, Dr. Bay's kind of kick this one to you. Uh, give give us your assessment. You know, who gets plantar fasciitis? How do you assess it? Because um, that's kind of a big thing in a runner. And then, how do you treat it? Yeah, I mean, we'll see we'll see plantar fasciitis in, in athletes, um, runners most of the time. Um, and then it goes anywhere. A lot of the, um, adults who have a standing job. So where they're on their feet all day, walking or standing, especially if it's, um, like a harder surface, like concrete. So like, I've seen a lot of factory workers recently that, that have it, especially that they have to wear certain shoes. So that plays into effect too. Um, I, I do the assessment, obviously I'll start at the ankle. I'll look at their calf flexibility, their ankle range of motion, their talo curl joint mobility, how their foot's moving. I'll go all the way up though. I'll look at like hip flexor tightness, glute tightness, hamstring tightness. Um, if your hip flexor is really tight, a lot of people like Dr. Bay said, Google a couple exercises for their foot. And it's all about the same. It's the toe curls, it's the water bottle under their foot, but they won't do a hip flexor stretch. So sometimes if you stretch the whole leg and address that flexibility, that helps in a way that they haven't tried. Um, before. Um, the big thing, I don't do a ton of strengthening for plantar fasciitis. Um, a little like the small muscles on the foot I'll do, but a lot of manual. So like a stem Graston is going to be the thing that they haven't tried yet. Cause they can't do that on their own. So that's what I focus on the most. Um, I'll do a stem on a plantar fasciitis patient. I'll do the plantar fascia. I'll do the Achilles. I'll do the calf. I'll do the, I'll go all the way up to the quad and hamstring, just totally loosen up that whole leg. And that usually helps a lot. And tell us where the Achilles, how the Achilles fits in. Someone comes in, they have a little bit of tightness in their Achilles. They've got significant plantar fasciitis, maybe a little cavus foot. How does, how does tightness in the Achilles kind of figure into the construct? Yeah, I mean, it's all, so the Achilles goes down and, and the plantar fascia and the Achilles are kind of attaching in very similar places. And if the plantar fascia is tight, it's changing the way you're, putting pressure on your foot, maybe more on the inside, more on the outside, or if your Achilles tight, you might not be taking a full step because you can't, because your calf is so tight. You don't have the dorsiflexion to take a full step or push off as hard. So if you're subtly walking around with less of a step length than you normally do, or a, a decreased push off, it's going to change the mechanics of your foot. So kind of, I'll do a, I'll do a whole gait analysis on, on the, the adults who aren't runners, I'll do a walking analysis um, and kind of see where that is on the runners. I'll definitely do a running analysis because you'll, if your Achilles is tight and it changes your gait pattern, sometimes the Achilles is causing the plantar fasciitis and it's not even really the plantar fascia that might be tight. It might be all the Achilles. So they definitely go hand in hand. If I'm treating a plantar fascia, I almost always incorporate the Achilles too. I think that's really a good point and, and a point for everyone to kind of listen to because I agree with that. So the last thing I want to touch on tonight, and this is kind of a, uh, a problem I see a lot of, unfortunately, and that's uh, glute insertion or greater trochanteric breakdown of, of the abductor tendon. So Dr. Bayes, someone comes in, can't roll over on the side when they try to sleep, um, they have pain at at the greater choke insertion, someone injected them because they said they had greater choke enteric bursitis. Um, you get an MRI and you see a partial tear or significant tear of the insertion. Um, give us your workup and, and what do we do? Yeah, um, 
Well, I, I look, I look one joint up. I want to look, I want to look at the low back. I want to look at the, the hip joint um, because that's usually a biomechanical failure. Um, get a look at it. Um, I'll ask them how many steroid shots they've had. Um, hopefully not too many. Um, I'll ask them what they've done. You know, have they had an, an assessment with a physical therapist and a home exercise program? Um, I will, um, you know, ultrasound is really, really nice. Cause you know, I make fun of the term trochanteric bursitis a lot, but it is true. They are, they do have an inflammatory, um, fluid signal usually, but it's usually a, a sign that something's going wrong structurally deep to that, uh, TFL bursa right there. So you, you know, it's that glute mead, that glute min insertion. Um, and that's my favorite thing to treat. Um, one of my top five needless to say is a PRP in an adipose stem cell is minimally invasive. Um, it is maximally effective in the, um, you know, after 60, uh, person who usually gets this. Um, and if this is the, this is where outcome is key. Um, because you know, you can see their trend gait when they walk, you can see that their biomechanics are off. If I can get them walking better and Kinsey can get them moving better, sleep will follow. I mean, they just want to rest at night. Um, and so if we can get them feeling better at night with their tissue healing, then they're really, really going to be happy. And by the way, this is a great application of cannabis because if it's that nighttime pain, primarily, if we can take a little bit higher dose, um, at night and you may have that little, the little, um, you know, kind of get high effect, but you're asleep. That's okay. That's going to be gone by morning and then you're going to sleep better. And then if we all know, if you sleep better, you're happier during the day. And, and, and in terms of, in terms of, you know, let's walk that back for just a second in terms of pain relief versus let's say uh, an opioid kind of give us your, 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 your thoughts. I mean, you, you certainly are going to get some relief from a THC CBD combination and you're going to get some relief from uh, hydrocodone. So, so give us your thought process. We're, we're on the spectrum. How does that work? And, and do you mean like post-treatment or just kind of chronic pain? Well, I mean, I mean, let's talk about both. So somebody comes in um, and you inject their plantar fascia, they're having a flare, they're miserable. How do you treat them uh, medication-wise post-injection? And then let's talk about someone with chronic whatever kind of pain, back pain, sure. spine pain, et cetera. Let's talk about both. Yeah. I, um, so post-treatment first, I'm way more apt to write for a um, hydrocodone script for that narcot low, you know, 28 pills is a max we can write at once here. I don't refill it because their pain flare with my injection is two days at most. So that's way more or way less than that 28 pills. Um, you know, it's just, Unfortunately, it's a pretty darn effective pain medicine in the short term for that acute flare. Um, the side effects are going to be the constipation, the feeling lousy, which is immediate. Um, but if it helps someone get through that like eight to 18 to maybe 24 hour flare, that's a good thing. Um, I do ask them about their, um, if they have an addictive history, um, that's a big deal. And I have patients who refuse it, who let's say were alcoholics and they never abused uh, pain relievers, but they're they just don't trust themselves with addictive substances. So for the short term post-injection, I am still using uh, hydrocodone. I, I, you know, we are a, a medical legal state here in Missouri. So we, we do talk about the medical cannabis use. And I do think that, you know, I don't know, Rick, you may know more about this than me, but it is pretty effective for a post-injection pain. I don't know if a head-to-head -head study like a VAS score 
has that has that been done post-surgical or post-treatment i'm not sure um, no, but, they, they have looked at it and they're actually pretty similar. So yeah. it's surprising. And, and if you lived in, you know, Norway, you're, you're probably going to have to battle to get a narcotic and you're probably going to get an anti-inflammatory and some CBD THC combination. Um, That's so, good. And, and in our, we have a dispensary in Marion and there's a VA right near there. And I would say that we have cut down significantly on, on the, Post, on the veterans that are post-surgical, you know, after probably 30 to 40 days. And, and I really think that you're right on the money. I think medical cannabis is, is something we have, like I said a minute ago, we have to understand we have to utilize a little bit better. If somebody comes in with chronic pain, maybe they have uh, had a couple back surgeries or a couple neck surgeries um, or have severe degenerative arthritis of their knee and they don't really want to get a total. How do you manage your chronic pain? Um, so I don't personally have training to inject the spine. So if they have chronic low back pain, I'm, I'm going to send them to Trish Herford, who's a physiatrist, the name I mentioned about cannabis, because she's better. She has a better toolbox for that. Um, if it's something that I can treat, it's a degenerative shoulder or knee or hip. Um, we talk about the regenerative med medicine on the spectrum of care. Um, I don't fill hydrocodone scripts more than once. So that's not something I would do. There are plenty of doctors in Missouri that'll do that, as you know, unfortunately. Um, I just don't think it's healthy. I think it's, um, we've all seen it. It's, it's, a, it's usually not a good thing. And, and people need pain relief. So these are not criminals, um, but there's a dependence that sets in and, and then possibly an addiction. Um, so, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but yeah, cannabis is just, it's got that pain relief without that addictive and constipation and all those other things going on. No, I, and I believe that. And I think we really have to change our mindset. I think older guys like myself and doctors in general, are pretty conservative, aren't really all that um, ready to, to make that transition, but it's a transition we have to make. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's an application uh, it's an asset that we need to utilize as doctors. It's certainly a lot safer than, as you said, getting addicted and then ending up with a fentanyl or a heroin overdose because your doctor quits giving you the medicine and then you can get it pretty inexpensively on the street, which we are seeing. So I, I think there's, there's, there's just such a place for it. And as we learn more about it, and you know, Trish Herford is probably a very good place to start, I think that application becomes, um, I would say, obviously standard of care, but more mainstream and something that we need to be better versed at. So I'm glad you're giving seminars. And again, I think this is, this is where it's going. So what else do we want to talk about? Kinsey, what do we forget? What do we, what do we tell everybody out there? What did we forget? Um, no, I think, I think from a PT standpoint, um, if someone's coming in, say knee arthritis, shoulder pain, um, I'll see them and, you know, we can't even tolerate range of motion. Like they can't do anything. And then they'll go see Dr. Bays or they'll get one of these PRP injections or anything like that. And then they come in say two weeks later and we can just work on so many more things. Um, I think when you're dealing with chronic pain, even if in my standpoint, they've had a history of pain for so long that if you can fix one thing that they've had pain with that helps. So just kind of starting slow and, and, taking it one bite at a time and just fixing the movement patterns and getting them to sleep first or getting them to be able to walk a couple hours without pain, just step-by-step step and kind of educating them on the process and knowing that it's not going to be 
just like get the injection and you're done and everything's going away, but teaching them the right habits that will last, you know, years um, down the road. So the pain hopefully doesn't return. Thank you. Dr. Bay's going to give us your, your, your parting thoughts here. What, what, what should we talk about? What did we talk about that we should have talked about? Well, you know, it's, we could probably address it briefly. It's a big topic, but like, let's say there's an operative OCD in the knee. Okay. Um, one, of the, one of the, you know, that's probably, you know, that's not hard for you at all. That's what you've been doing your whole career. But like in outcomes, you know, I firmly believe they, pro- if it's an operative lesion, they need to have surgery. Um, I don't, you know, I stay in my lane. I think they need to have a scope. They need to have the accurate, um, you know, let's make those, those edges smooth. There's a ton of different techniques you can do to kind of try and fill in the hole if it does need to happen, if it's unstable. And then you're doing, maybe you're doing a microfracture. Maybe you're doing, how, how often are you doing like subchondral DBM for cystic change in the, in the bone? We, we, we actually do that. And then, and then we put um, some type of uh, either uh, a graft, um, immature stem cell graft, or um, we, we do a lot of, a lot of matrix, so autologous chondrocyte implantation. So we'll put a baseline, a base in uh, because, you know, it's a bone disease. It's not really, I mean, it becomes a car disease. It's a bone disease, but, but give us your thoughts because I mean, you mentioned this in, in, in talking about OCD um, and, and I, I, I want to hear kind of um, the regenerative medicine take on it because a lot of times, you know, the outcomes aren't that good. And if we can treat them not surgically, you know, that that's a bonus. Yeah. Well, I think that's when our MRI is a super valuable tool because we can see the small, just beneath the cortex, um, subchondral cystic formation. And if over time, if it's getting worse, then you start to see the fibrillation of the cartilage and then it starts to get loose and then boom, they got to have surgery. So if we can, um, if I see that early on and let's say they all have a little bit of arthritis kind of in the knee, but so I would do some intraarticular injection, but I will actually do what we call a subchondral bone marrow injection, kind of like you're doing in the, in, in, in uh, the operation. I don't use DBM, um, but I can use, and, and that's de- for the listener, that's demineralized bone matrix where they, um, they uh, take out all the calcification of the bone and it leaves the minerals and all the osteoinductive property of the bone. Did I say that right, Rick? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that becomes like a putty that you can inject through a, um, it's a, it's a trope. It's like a 11 gauge, probably something real big. Right. So you got, I can't do that through a needle. So that's done surgically. And then what I've had, I've had a couple of patients that, you know, rounded out, like, let's say they got a lot better surgically with a technique like that, but then we needed to follow up. They still had pain. And so I can get an 18 gauge spinal needle into the bone just with some local anesthesia and do a bone marrow. And that has helped, but that's where that collaborative approach is important. Um, you got to have a surgeon that's comfortable with this. You got to have a patient that's comfortable with it. You got to have a patient trust both doctors, which is important. Um, uh, it's, I think the sky's the limit. Um, I think there's always going to be a role for the surgeon and there's always going to be a role for someone like me. I think that the, the real kind of like the, the, what we're looking for is how do we best involve both parties. No, and, and I think that's right. And, and I think our trend should be towards not op, more non-operative um, because the more conservative, especially in an athletic population, more conservative we can treat these people, 
and avoid surgery if possible, uh, obviously the better. So I think the trend should be towards more, uh, like you said in the beginning, getting your body to heal something on its own. And, and, and that should be the push. Well, I want to thank both you guys again. I'm, I, I just can't get enough of this. I really, you know, maybe this is a selfish thing. I just want to hear about regenerative medicine, but to me, it's fascinating. And um, again, I think this is where medicines, or I hope this is where medicines going. And, and I do agree we should do uh, a segment on medical cannabis because yeah. it's pretty conservative. But when you're out in some of these other states that are a little less conservative, they are much more forward thinking, treating seizures and treating neuropathy, et cetera. And they're getting pretty solid results. So I, I agree. I got to ask that question. Why not? I mean, what's what's the pushback? Why? Why is there a roadblock for some of these states? What What's the is it a stigma? What is it? I think there's definitely first of all. You know, medical cannabis has the same categorization as it, it's a it's a class one narcot as a class one narcotic. So, yeah. you know, it, it really does have a stigma. And doctors are by nature pretty conservative. And when you say, "Hey, your idea of medical cannabis is somebody you know smoking a joint with dreadlocks," well, that's 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 really not what it is. I mean, it's it can be a gummy bear. It can be all kinds of different things. We have drinks we have all kinds of stuff that that are that are not that and 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 it's going to get more and more sophisticated as we progress so if you look some of the at some of the research in israel i mean they're treating different kinds of melanomas all kinds of stuff so we got to get we got to get our our a game on but i think you're exactly right scotty i think there's a stigma and you know conservative people are like oh you hot smoking hippie which is exactly what it isn't <laughs> what what uh, put me on this journey was the first uh, podcast we did, and and uh, we spoke of the THC cream, right? CBD THC cream, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I got aches and pains. Yeah, why don't I? And then I realized I can't get it. There you go. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, I just want to put it on my knee after a workout. That's it. That's all I want to do. I'm not going to sit there and lather it yeah. on my tongue. <laughs> well, I think, you know, Louisiana is a very conservative state, but it's going to come around. You know, it, it has to. It's a, it's an inevitable tide. It started with Colorado, California, Washington, and it's going to happen. If Missouri passed it, Louisiana will pass yeah, it. Yeah, you're right about that. And I have another question. You, with a 10% failure rate, that means you got a 90% success rate. That's pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, we're proud of it, but I think it's really patient selection. I mean, you got to really, you know, just like Dr. Rick, I mean, he's not going to operate on something uh, he can't yeah, fix, yeah, 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 you yeah. know. So, I, you know, if you treat them, you buy them is kind of what we say. So if you treat them <laughs> and you don't get them better, that's not good for you and it's not good for them. And nobody wants that. Do, do you take another bite at the apple as I use a fruit analogy? Do you do you say, hey, do you do you sort of do a little root cause of why what you know let's if they know. don't get better yeah oh yeah no no no. i put my thinking cap on that's that's when i that's uh you know i'm working extra hard at that point to fix this um yeah but, and you know sometimes we can't you know no kidding. sometimes we have to say i'm sorry i i i agree with dr rick this this is a great conversation i i, I love it and i i i enjoy the conversation of where medicine is going and I think it's brilliant in a lot of ways. And uh, thanks for being a tra uh, you know trailblazer on that. It's cool stuff. Thank you. And and that shameless plug for core physical therapy about 
physical therapists are really helpful. Yeah, happy to. Hey, I, I know <laughs> butters and bread, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you very much for being on In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. You guys are great. Thank you. All right, listeners, go out to corephysicaltherapy.com. That's where you want to go. It's a great place to start. Find people like Kinsey. Your life will be better. So that's corephysicaltherapy.com. If you like this conversation, we're going to have a lot more coming your way on In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. So stay tuned.